This is episode four of the Animal House podcast coming to you live from grand old Telford, England. Welcome to the Animal House podcast. I'm your host, Jay Nicole Smith. We are a movement of like-minded rebels who believe businesses win by building brands and success is defined by personal freedom. Join us if you dare as we go behind the scenes each week with marketing trendsetters and iconic brands who embody our Animal House philosophy. Greetings, friends and petpreneurs. This is your host, Jane Nicole Smith, and this week I am in Telford, England, which is a bit up north, not terribly far from Manchester. And I'm here because I'm speaking at PATS UK, which is kind of like Super Zoo or Global in the States. It's one of the biggest trade show for pet brands here in the UK. So doing a bit of speaking today about marketing and branding and all that good stuff. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today, we are speaking with Lorian. Lorian is part of a company called Pet Hub. They do very smart tags for dogs. So their whole deal is helping lost pets get home. And they do QR codes on tags that ties up to a digital profile, as well as having a 24-hour manned sort of phone system where if your pet gets lost and it's wearing a Pet Hub tag, it is so much more likely to find its way home. But that's not even what we're talking about today either. We are talking about being a million-dollar dog brand. And Pet Hub is one of the brands that I identified as absolutely pulling off this wonderful combination of being a great service provider, having a great product, and also building a great brand. And Lorian's going to share some insights from their world, which is defined by being a virtual team and working in tech and learning all about what it takes to make the transition from tech to pet and how those things are connected. And there's a lot of lessons in here, I think, about how not to get distracted by shiny object syndrome and how to stay true to your core mission and even a little, few little nuggets about hiring um, a team. So Lorian's got a lot to share with us, so I won't delay. Let's go meet her and chat about being a million dollar dog brand. Okay, so today we have with us Lorian from Pet Hub, and I'm really excited about because there are not a lot of dog tech companies, and I think what Pet Hub is doing is really exciting. So I'm really looking forward to digging in. Thanks for being here, Lorian. Thank you for having me, Nicole. So to start with, let's just get a big, sort of the big picture of Pet Hub. Like, where did you guys start and when, and kind of lead us up to where you are now? So uh, almost exactly six years ago, it's... um we turned six years old at the beginning of February. Congratulations. Thank you. Our founder and CEO, Tom Arnold, left Microsoft to um, because he felt the need to make a difference, a profound difference, something that he could tangibly feel rather than working at the back offices of Microsoft running a team that nobody had ever heard of, that, that everybody used their tools, but nobody really knew existed. So, And he was himself a pet owner and had seen that the technology that was being used to get lost pets home was, by and large, still stuck in the 18th century when the ID tag for a dog was first invented. The idea of putting your, your dog's name and how to reach you in some way. And uh, though microchips had certainly helped the problem, it, it, it clearly hadn't solved the problem when you have you know half the pets that enter uh, shelters are not going out again. And only 25% of pets that go into shelters get home again to their 
owners, and that's for dogs, and it's less than 2% for cats. So he said, this is ridiculous, i got to do something, so he started Pet Hub, which in essence is a digital ID tag that links to an online profile, and now an entire suite. And that's part of what our story is. So when we first started, it was just a aluminum tag with a QR code that links to a page that you put information about your pet. And then the last six years, we've grown that to be, uh, we now have licenses with 11 different tag manufacturers who license our technology and put it onto their outstanding ID products. And uh, so you can get it on collars, you can get it on ID tags that range anywhere from a, you know, inexpensive aluminum tag to a high-end silver-plated, handmade, copper jewelry-looking thing. And they link to the online profile that is a very robust online profile, also links to a 24-7 call center. There's a scan ability that will allow people to scan it, and then they send a GPS map to where the pet was found. The shelter alert system is kind of like Amber Alert for Pets. And a bunch of other different things that we've integrated over the years. As new tech becomes available, we bring it into our system. So, Brilliant. yeah, and it's been a lot of fun. It's a company, we, we are lean and fast moving. Uh, we've never allowed ourselves to get to that bloat period where you have, you know, a huge unwieldy staff. We've kept it lean on purpose so that we can stay super focused. We've also, from just a startup perspective, though we've certainly been approached by uh, VC capital firms, um, venture capital firms, we've avoided that. We've stayed with the um, friends and family and small angel investor approach because it allows us to really stay uh, focused on what we want to do. And so that it, it, though money is certainly part of it, making money is certainly part of what you want to do. The vision of what we're wanting to build uh, and the solutions we're wanting to create, we felt was really strong. Stay true to those. So as far as where we started from a marketing perspective or a, um, a business model perspective to now, uh, as far as business model, we've always been based on a freemium model. So our bear, our uh, basic services, which is the online profile and 24-7 call center, are free, and they always will be. And some of the other things I mentioned are premium service where people can pay a couple dollars a month to get the premium service, and that's a, a, about 15% of our users upgrade to premium service, and that's what keeps our lights on. But in terms of how we are getting market penetration, that's changed radically, especially in the last six months. So we started off consumer-facing. A lot of uh, what I'm sure you and I will talk about today is our consumer-facing marketing. And uh, our primary approach was uh, you know, getting the word out to directly to pet parents. But over the last two years, and then most profoundly in the last six months, we have found that we can reach far more pet parents in a far more productive and impactful way if we work with, for lack of a better, uh, pet care providers and service providers, including uh, municipal shelters, who actually see the highest rate of pets entering their, their systems, and there where the majority of adoptions happen, too. So we're working primarily with uh, shelters, rescues, municipalities to help them, because a lot of, for a lot of dogs, the first ID tag that they get is the tag that they got when they got adopted. And so and studies show that tags, once they get put on a dog, are likely to stay on that dog for a year or longer. So um, we're taking that approach now, and it's working out really, really well. And do you also sell sort of wholesale to the end retailer as well? Yeah, we do. It's interesting. We have a mixed bag of retailers that work with us. Some are what people would call the more big end, and then many are more of the boutique Type. And to be honest, the smaller um, stores tend to do better because they have a more one-on-one relationship with their customer. They know them by name. They know their dogs. Um, they know their dogs' individual issues. 
And our product is one that it's, it, it's a high education piece to educate people about uh, the technology that's behind it. Because when we first came out six years ago, QR codes had literally just hit the U.S. and, and uh, a lot of people didn't know what they were. So there is an education factor. And granted, there is an education factor with a lot of pet products like um, dog food or shampoos and even toys that have some education going into them. But unlike those things that people have to come back in every single month to get, ours is, like I said, once an ID tag gets put on a pet, it's likely to stay there for quite some time. So it's not a consumable. So for some retailers, it's, it's not necessarily the ideal product to have in there. ID tags are just something they have that's occasional sales for them. They're not a staple sale. So, so yeah, we certainly do have some great relationships with retailers. We have actually some, like I said, small retailers that love our product and actually sell quite a bit of it. But it's, it's not the big boon that we had thought it would be. And, and it was when we dug in and started listening to our customer, both the retail customer and the you know, consumer, uh, that we realized, oh, this isn't the best channel for us. And that's kind of my, everything that I base my decisions on is in marketing come from data and come from listening to the customers and listening to what's happening. It's all well and good to read a bunch of blogs and to see what everybody else is doing and you have to do that. But at the end of the day, you really have to listen to your customer and how your customer is interacting with your product in order to know how best to get more customers like them. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And I think we'll come back to the data in a bit because I think that's a really underutilized sort of concept by a lot of entrepreneurs because we so strongly go based on our own instincts and what we want and what we like. And it's really easy, like you said, to just make a product and assume that your best channel is going to be getting that into stores so stores can sell it to your customers. So that's a really interesting point. I want to go back to the education piece a little bit because I did want to ask you about, you know, like you said, when you guys started six years ago, you're really a pioneer in the market. And I'm not sure what sort of dog tech was available, but I know you guys were among some of the first and certainly the QR code is needs a bit of explaining to people who don't know what it is or how to use it. So how, what has that journey been like sort of arriving in the market and having to educate, 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 has that changed at all? And how have you handled that? Well, when we first started, I mean, I think it's, it's one thing if you're a tech company that has a name behind you, then people are watching you to see, Ooh, what new thing will they come out with next? And then there's a high adoption rate. Right. And so there's, there's a little bit of a, of an assumption, I think by, you know, bystanders that are outside the tech industry that say, oh, a new tech is going to be so exciting. It's going to be high adoption. And they think it's going to be on fire immediately. But that's not true at all. Because if you are an unknown brand, like what we were, we actually patented the whole process of putting a QR code and linking it to an online profile. That's one of six patents that Tom Arnold holds for us. So we, st- we literally were the first ones on the market. It's hard because what happens is, is that we essentially paved the way for some of our competitors <laughs> and they, they watched what we were doing. They watched how we were playing with language. They basically said, ah, that they, they clearly have found something there. And then they, they try to replicate it. The good news for us is, is that none of them have uh, replicated the comprehensiveness of which we've approached this because we're, again, we're not looking to just make a buck on QR tags for dogs. We're looking to create a solution that's going to get as many lost pets home as quickly as possible and keep them out of shelters. So we've looked at this, very much so from a, a, a tech problem that we want to create a, a complex, uh, comprehensive solution for. But the education piece was definitely part of it. And a lot of it quickly came, we went to so many local 5Ks and doggy uh, fashion shows, and <laughs> whatever kind of 
fun local thing we could do. We we spent hours and hours going to the dog park and stalking people. <laughs> and, um, you know, basically, we even uh, plastered dog parks with uh, posters with a big QR and uh, said, scan this if you're interested in learning more. And then we would call, and we actually got quite a, you know, I don't know, maybe a dozen or so, but they were very interested in what the whole thing was about. And we were able to really pick their brains as consumers. So it was a lot of trial and error. And you, as a salesperson and also as a marketer, you watch for the light bulb. You'll watch for the moment where they go, oh, you know, and they're like, okay, what did I just say? Right what down. were those words? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, especially with something brand new and you don't have anybody else to reference off of. So uh, that was a lot of fun, actually. But it was, you know, it was was a struggle. And there were some people who got it right away. And then there were other people, basically younger folks got it right away. I think it's common for tech things. And but there were some we had a lot of pushback. And frankly, some of the pushback was really awesome for us. It made us really step back and go, okay, uh, we have to do something that no matter who finds the dog or the cat or turtle or goat or whoever's wearing the dog. (laughs) We have, we have all kinds of species. I right? love that. Turtle. We do. We have found a turtle with our tags. But we have, whoever finds the, the animal has to be able to interact with the system to get the pet home. So things like we had to make the print, uh, we had to change the way we did the print on the back of the tag so that it was not, uh, so, it was, so you wouldn't confuse a zero and, a, and an uh, uh, O or an I and a one or et cetera like that. Feedback like that was excellent. Feedback that we got uh, from Mike Arms, who's actually a legend in the shelter and rescue industry, uh, who said, why don't you have a phone number for those folks that don't know what it is? And so we did. We put a 24-7 call center, and we actually decided to make that free. Nobody else does it for free. Everybody else charges for their call center. We said, well, you know, again, our purpose is to get these pets home fast and to make it so that it, it uh, people don't have to think. It becomes a no-brainer about putting this tag on their pet. And so the money won't be an issue if they can't afford to pay a monthly service. They don't have to, so this tag's going to work without it. So pushback was great from um, from people. And then we finally got to the point, after about two and a half years, which was painful because you, of course, want to go, you want to skyrocket immediately. But, but after about two and a half years or so, it started to click for us. And the things that, that made sense. And the other thing that really clicked for us, because we tried a bunch of things, we are geeks. And we're goobers and, uh, and, you know, we've come out of our parents' basements kind of thing too, <laughs> <laughs> to do this company. And, uh, but we like things that are funny. We like things that are maybe irreverent and that didn't always fit in the pet space. And when we first started doing some marketing, if somebody actually thought that we were trying to compete with Icon has cheeseburger, who does the funny cat and dog memes. And I thought, well, that's bad. They think that that's what we're, <laughs> that's the space that we're in. But we, what we found was when we completely pulled away from that, from our natural personalities, and we went with the, you know, protect your pet or they'll, you know, could be lost forever. You know, the fear mongering that goes on with pretty much every one of our other competitors, people didn't like that either. So what we found was a happy medium, again, by listening to our customers. You know, when we redesigned the site, the second time we redesigned the site, it's been under four or five different iterations. But the second time, we we really thought, looking at all of our competitors and looking at everybody else in the pet space, we're like, okay, this is what people like. This is clearly what people resonate with. And we designed this site. And, and my gut was telling me, this is not us. And I, I asked our designer, I said, just for grins and giggles, would you do a mock-up that looks kind of like this? And I told him what I wanted. And he said, yeah, okay. So then... 
we put both side by side out in a survey to our users, and then we we uh, got a some random people to do a focus group and like 80% of them were drawn towards what I, what my gut was telling me based on what, who our customers were and did not like the standard, what was prevalent in the tech industry, uh, the pet industry at that time. And that was again, huge listening to the customer data and not, <laughs> yeah, data, and, and not assuming what everybody else is doing is working or is the best for your product because you know what might be working for a huge big company might not be the best way for you uh, you'll get lost if you try to look like them so anyway big those are big big learnings for us wow all such good points there i think the point you've made about partially something that is a huge resource and a great asset for an entrepreneur about trusting your gut but then backing it up with data is just like such a golden little nugget of advice i think if if anyone, you know, could just take away one thing from this whole thing, that would be it is it is to incorporate that into your strategy. But also, I think this is coming through loud and strong that you guys are very connected to your why you're very connected to what you stand for, and that the company and everything you do comes from and about, is about that. And I think that is the core of what we're talking about with building a brand as well is that, you know, is this idea of standing for something. And it's so clear what you guys stand for. Yeah. And I have to tell you this, if I would, it, you know, there's a lot of pieces of advice that I would give to, have we never done a startup before? I'd always been at, an, at established organizations where I've done work in the past. So this is the first time to ever be in that startup thing, but there's a lot of shiny objects. And I myself am a little bit of a magpie. I'm like, ooh, sparkle. <laughs> and there are a ton of people that are going to see what you're doing. They're going to be excited about what you're doing. And they so want to be part of it that they're going to try to make you fit into what they want you to do. And some of them might have a lot of money behind them. And we wasted so much time and energy going after those opportunities. And it was usually because it was somebody who was quote unquote established and uh, had more experience than us. And they were saying, you should do this. And where it is really important to have advisors, no doubt. It's also super important that you stay true to your vision. And, you know, we, we actually spent time and money sometimes going down paths and then it would literally be a wait, 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 what are we doing? This is not about getting lost pets home. This is about dogs on TV or something, you know, something that would be weird. And, We'd stop and we'd pull back and, and, and each time it, it was the right choice. And, you know, and there have been times actually we we followed things all the way through the end, actually putting a product out that in the back of our minds we're saying, this isn't what we do. This isn't what we do. It kind of fits with what we do, but it's not really what we do. And then after it's been out in the market for a while and we've done some real market testing, we're like, yeah, we were right. That's not what we do. <laughs> turns <And> out. <laughs> turns out that we were right. And, and so... And, and it's hard, but it's hard to say, okay, we're going to discontinue that product, even though we just spent a hundred grand on the development of it. Oh my word. <laughs> because it, it, if it doesn't fit with who you are, you know, the whole uh, square peg round hole thing can't force it. And we are now uh, so laser focused and we have our four core goals that in every opportunity that comes our way, if it doesn't beautifully fit into one of our four core goals we say no no matter how sexy it is and we've had some pretty darn sexy things come our way (laughs) (laughs) so at what point did you develop those goals were they super clear from the beginning or did you sort of have to create that after you um 
we're starting to get the allure of opportunity that might drag you away from your vision? Yes and no. We formed our pillars, protect, share, nurture, within eight months or so of me coming on board. And I came on board, uh, not six years ago, I came on board after the company had been started for a little while, over five years. And um, but we, 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 we formed our pillars and what those pillars meant. But the problem was we did, we, you know, we said, this is, these are our pillars, this is our mission statement, but we didn't really follow it. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, you, say, you don't okay, really know what that meant. Yeah. Yet. It's, yeah. Like, it's like, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds this, this, this year. And, and then no yeah, plan. Like, that's your goal, but what are you really doing about it? And then, and then I think, it, I think uh, most clearly the beginning of last year, we worked with a, an advisor who we'd worked with some, but we decided, you know, gosh, every time we talk to him, we're just like, yeah, yeah, dude, you're right. You're right. And, and he always like kind of, he, he, he's got this wonderful, um, he's kind of like your favorite uncle and he comes in and he kicks your butt. And you say, Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're awesome. But he really just like told you, like, you know, pull your head out. Um, but he did it in the most, he did it in the most wonderful way. The most way. like You're, empowering way. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and every time he'd come in, we'd, we'd always be like, yeah, yeah. And then, and then we would, we would work a little while on what he had said and then we would basically forget how impactful he had been. And we, we would, you know, be doing okay, but, but perhaps have found a shiny object that we were raising. Yeah. And so, you know, what if we brought him in, like, and said, like, dude, will you be here to kick our butt every month? <laughs> kind of a thing. And, and just literally, as just an advisor. And all he helps us do is that our, we do a 60-day goal meeting at the beginning of every 60 days. And then at the end of the 60 days, we, cut, we go meet with him again and form the next 60 days. And they all have to align to these four core principles of what what our goals are. And we, we set those goals at the beginning of 2015. We worked really hard on 2015 and these 60 day goal chunks. And it was about, um, midway through 2015, we went, huh, let's start really looking at the data folks and looking at where our customers are coming from with the, uh, highest ROI, the lowest cost per acquisition. I mean, really, truly let's dig into the data and see where it is. And it, we realized that the channel that Everyone else said, oh, you need to go for this channel. You need to go for this channel was not the right channel for us. And that the channel that everybody said, ah, there's no money there was actually the channel that had the most promise for us. And interesting. Yeah, because that's what the, and that's what the data was showing. And, and then we did, we said, okay, we're going to do an experiment. We're going to invest some real money into this channel. And that's what we did the end of uh, quarter of 2015. And lo and behold, things are exciting now. Uh, And they were always exciting, but I mean, like, Really like in cool. a new way, yeah, where you're actually getting to the core of your mission as well, it sounds like, just yeah. getting right in there. <laughs> and, and, and it really was going back to that being willing to say no, no matter how sexy something is. And does it fit into our 60-day goals? No. Does it fit into our overall goals, our, our four goals? No. Does it fit into our pillars? No. Then why are we even talking about it? <laughs> and it makes, it makes saying no really easy. And so, and then there are those things that kind of fit in and then you have to say, okay, well, what else would have to fall off the plate? Because there's only so much time and money. We're not hiring a whole new team to do this other thing. And, and it makes, that also makes it say, saying no uh, a lot easier. So yeah, laser focus, knowing your goals, knowing who you are and being willing to go back and look at the data and say, is what we've chosen to do really working? And having that bit of mentorship and accountability as well is huge, isn't it, for actually getting stuff done? Yeah, I mean, to go in with the arrogance to think that, oh, we got this, we're smart people, we were all 
killer in our former careers. We all were. And it was just like, nope, we really don't know a lot of these things. We have no idea what it's like to work on packaging and working with manufacturers in all countries. And nope, we had no idea how to hire a salesperson, (laughs) you know? So to know that, to, to say, it's okay to call in somebody else to help you and advise you is totally fine. The other thing, and I kind of, kind of all over the place, but it's kind of the same thing. We would form relationships with team members and because you do, you can't help, help it. But you start to uh, leave people on the bus that shouldn't be on the bus. Yeah. And uh, it's a book that every entrepreneur and every team member of an on- that's part of that, that core team should read is good to great. And I've lost the name of the guy, Richard somebody. Um, but uh, good to great talks a lot about, uh, you know, got certain seats on the bus and it's important that you have the right people on the bus. Sometimes they're not in the right seat and you have to help them find the right seat, but it's important that they're the right people. And there are some wonderful people that are not on the right bus and they need to get off your bus. And we now finally, uh, it took us a long time. There were people that we kept on our team that we should have moved on from because they were kind of a shiny object as well. And they didn't, they didn't fit what we needed. And so now it's, you know, hire slow, fire fast. And that has made such a huge difference for us in the last six months. That seems to be another sort of theme that's going on with uh, WeChat people as well about getting the right team in place and how difficult that can be, especially because we're so close to our team members as entrepreneurs and it's really hard to be mean, you know, that's it comes yeah. it's like, it's really hard to like fire someone. Oh my word. This person has seen me at my absolute worst in my sweats, eating two day old pizza, <laughs> sitting on the floor, stuffing envelopes because... You know, and they were we there started. when we started, so they have to stay here. Yeah. 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 And it's like, nope, they are not right for the team. And uh, and it's nothing against them personally. It's just they're not right for what we need. And we need something else specific. And it's, it's like I said, it's sometimes they're in the wrong seat and you can help them get into the right seat. And you can basically keep that team, team member, if they're the right person, you can keep them on the team. And we've actually done that a couple of times. Myself, I've been moved on what seat I'm on the bus as the as the uh, company has needed, and there's been some seats that have been much more cozy and wonderful than other seats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned good to great as well. It's Jim Collins is the author of that, and yeah, I think that's definitely we're building our resource list now, and that's definitely on there. It's a fantastic one. Okay, so let's talk just briefly about some of the actual marketing tactics that you've used. I'd love to know some that maybe you found that are amazing and you wish you would have known from the beginning and maybe some that you've invested in that you, you know, wouldn't invest in again. Okay. Well, it's the bummer part. Some of the ones that were really, truly amazing for us are no longer amazing. Facebook six years ago, yeah. six, <laughs> six, just even three years ago was amazing. Uh, we did amazing things with Facebook. Even Twitter did some really nice things for us. No, not so much for either of them. We actually, we are keeping engagement with our social media, but it's, it is not how we are driving business. So I will tell you some things that I wish I had never invested in and are shiny objects that I would say, you know, avoid, avoid, avoid. And they're going to hate me for saying it. <laughs> Ooh, give it to us. <laughs> if you are any type of company that relies on business that comes through the door via the internet, why would you pay money in a print magazine? (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) It's one thing if you're the type of thing that can only be found in pet stores or you're found in a veterinarian or the places, because 
when they tell you we have, you know, we're going to send this out to our list of 150 subscribers, that's not a lot of people. And it sounds like a lot of people when you've only got 100 customers yourself. 150,000, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a lot of people. And we invested tens of thousands of dollars at the beginning in magazines that were wasted. Now, that being said, that's pet-centric magazines. Now, when we had articles in pet-centric magazines, that did great for us. People, mostly retailers, but people did definitely, definitely got business from articles that we were, like when they were talking about the surge in pet technology, or they were talking about new tools for lost pet recovery. Those kind of things were golden. And sometimes they'll write the article if you will buy a full page. Only if you advertise. (laughs) And um, so, you know, sometimes you have to plug your nose to do it in order to get that kind of press because that's the the press. The article is important. It's back to that education piece. Um, People don't look at ads. I mean, I don't look at ads. I might buy a magazine on a whim once a quarter to take a bubble bath with it's probably going to be a girly magazine uh, not girly. <laughs> I know gonna, what you mean you know what I mean something about the new way to do my nails you know totally. <laughs> or actually now it's probably going to be something about organizing my closet home but, decor um, yeah exactly <laughs> um, but yes there's definitely an audience out there for dog magazines but really examine you know there are 74 million dogs 86 million cats in the United States and they have less than a a half a million subscribers. So really, truly, is that the best way to get to your audience? Just do the numbers. So I would avoid print. I would avoid pet-centric things entirely. And that's, that's from my perspective, as far as paid advertising goes. Things like dog blogs, things like articles and those things, those are all great. They help your SEO. People hear about you that way. They, they get, that get shared on social media. But basic ads, you know, if you're, unless you're in Petco, why would you want to advertise uh, on Petco? We actually had, uh, not Petco, but another one like that, called us and said, hey, do you want to advertise on our site? And it's like, well, but I'm not on your site. And but they can't buy me on your site. Can't buy me on your site. So, um, but but then the other thing that's a shiny object that we we've, we've fallen for twice, and and um, both times it was a lovely experience, but we really didn't get any SEO. I mean, we didn't get any sales about it. Was um, paid for uh, TV spots that go. Um, you know, you get a pet industry expert, uh, and they speak on a morning show someplace. They're usually very regional. Sometimes they do have national coverage. And unless you have enough money to consistently do that, so you're always being seen on those type of shows, the one-offs are not going to be good for you. They're great to have as far as like, oh, wow, look, we were on TV and you can do that video or whatever and you can put on your press page and that's nice. And then people in the industry will certainly say, oh my God, I saw you on so-and-so's. But we did not get that many business, that much business. Where we did get business when we were on TV was we came out with a new technology, we put out a press release, and lo and behold, our local TV station said, hey, can we do a thing on you in the morning? We said, yeah, sure. It was a CBS station. Next thing you know, it got picked up by CNN. Ta-da! Huge! (laughs) That was huge. So I was going to say, if you're going to put money into getting on TV, put money into press. To PR. The PR. Not into paid uh, spots. Because even if you get on some local little morning TV show 
as long as you're not paying for that spot. Because if you're paying for that spot, it's not likely to get picked up by the national stuff. That being said, um, the few times that we've had opportunities to potentially be on like the Today Show or Good Morning America or whatever, they have been with people that want us to pay them in order to take and pitch it to the Today Show, whatever. And we've paid that money to get pitched. And we we were actually set up to be on one of those shows, and I'm not allowed to say which one. But then um, the day that we were on, there was a bombing at the Boston Marathon, and all everything was preempted. So it was like a bummer. But, wow. So put your money in press, PR, and vote um, on that. So once a year, we, on uh, National Dog Day, we have a dollar uh, pet ID sale. And we started this five years ago, back when we only had one idea to sell. (laughs) (laughs) And we still do it because we actually did it two years in a row. And then the third year, we weren't planning on doing it at all. And literally like two days before National Dog Day came up, we started getting emails, about a dozen of them saying, is your sale in two days? I've been waiting for this. I think we talked about this before because you were like, oh, crap, I guess we have to do this. (laughs) All right. And then it was like a scramble to get everything ready. And um so one of the things that it does, and it's not all of the IDs are a dollar, but it basically is a coupon that puts that it's a huge discount on all the IDs. It gets you an email, it gets people talking about it. But the people that got talking about it is what led us to what we're doing now. The people that talked the most about it were the people that, frankly, are the best word of mouth for us. It's the shelters. It's the rescues. It's the people who are just in the trenches. <laughs> But yeah, but they're passionate about what we're doing. So find the people who are passionate about what you're doing and find how to get to them. Because what they do is they share the heck out of it on social media. And I mean, last year, I think we sold 3000 or something like that in one day. Wow. And it's just like this one day sale. The other thing that we did that was fun, and, and it was kind of one of those things that we did it once, and we're like, yeah, is that good? And then the next year, the people are like, are you doing that again? And they're excited about it. It's created a, an educational period. Now, it's supposed to be a week. It's supposed to be Lost Pet Prevention Week. And then one of the uh, wonderful bloggers who was helping us with it, she posted the very first article about it on July 1st. It was supposed to be July 1st to July 7th. And she posted an article that said, Pet Hub um, has announced that July is National Lost Pet Prevention Month. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, I'm not kidding you, I got like 10 emails the next day. Oh, I want to be part of National Lost Pet Prevention Month. I won't have time until the third week of July, but I'd love to do an article about. And so all of a sudden, overnight, it turned into a month. But now we're in our, will be our fourth year of doing it. And that's been tremendous for just the conversation in general about loss pet prevention. It's helped us with our SEO. It's helped us with building relationships within the industry and outside of the industry. And now folks like, you know, we were featured in Martha Stewart last year because one of her editors had seen an article about loss pet prevention month sponsored by Pet Hub and was like, oh, what's that all about? So that helped us get out of that pet space only uh, so now we've been in Popular Mechanics, we've been in Martha Stewart, and most recently we were named by Business Insider one of the 50 coolest new businesses in America. I saw that. That is so cool. Yeah, that was that really is so exciting. cool. It was really exciting. And what's most important to us is that we're being recognized and uh, celebrated outside of the pet advertising space, the pet centric stuff, which is huge because, again, the majority of your audience, uh, if you're in the pet space, is not necessarily doing pet-centric only things. 
I'm so, so glad you brought this up because I talk about this a lot in what I do. And that is that you, someone who has a dog does not necessarily consider themselves a dog person. And your target client is probably not reading dog magazines, going to dog walks and that sort of thing. They're decorating their house. They're buying a new car. They're shopping at Whole Foods. And I love that you said that because it seems, you know, we kind of go straight line, like my product is made for dogs. I will go to the dog magazine. But you're you're so right about getting outside that space. Well, and it's important to get recognition and to to get support within the industry. absolutely critical because you live in this space if and and whatever space you're in if you're making you know couches it's important that you live in that furniture space and and know those people and have those relationships that's key but but no exactly it's like i find out about stuff for my house and my dogs and in like the weirdest places (laughs) i i don't necessarily go to find that my the new couch that i'm going to use in a couch bag I might see a picture of it in uh, People. Yeah, in a styled shoot, yeah. Yeah, and like, oh my God, I have to have that couch. couch. Google that couch. (laughs) Yeah, and that's just the way we are. So I think that it's really important, again, find out who your passionate people are and find out where they're finding out and hearing about things and go there. That's a great takeaway. So kind of along these lines of... um, advice and wisdom. I think to finish us up, I would love it if you can think back to six years ago, Lorian, when you were getting involved in this startup project and Tom and his journey there as well, and offer some words of advice to to those just early startup days when, you know, you have this big mountain ahead of you. What would you say to that person? I'd say it's okay to fail because you're going to do it. And Look at each of those failures as an opportunity to step on top of it and learn something and move on from that. It's okay if you don't know something. Go out and learn it. It's an amazing opportunity to learn new things. It's okay to ask for help. But also, buckle up, Buttercup. Because <laughs> um, it's going to be a ride. And, there, and the days can go from the highest highs to the lowest lows. And it's important that you have um, your North Star. And both on a personal and professional net level, you need to make sure you have your North Star. We are blessed that our North Star at the company, Tom, um, has such, such a clear vision. He has his down days too. And it's, you know, but his, his job has been to be there for all of us. But um, I know it's been hard for him too, just on the outside looking in. But then on a personal level, to have your North Star, to have people in your family and your friends, don't neglect them <laughs> because it's easy. It's easy to get so heads down on what you're doing that uh, you, you really forget the things that are super important, you know, your family and your friends um, and your health. I love that idea of the North Star. I think that's a really nice way to, to sum it up and, and also bringing that element of, of the personal life along with business. Cause as an entrepreneur, there's very little separation between the two. Isn't there? Oh yeah. It's I mean, so blurry. I, yeah, it is. Well, and, and I have, I split my time in two different places because of my personal life. And so I go into the pet hub offices when I'm in the Seattle area, but when I am with my family, I have a, 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 an office and, you know, originally my office was at the kitchen table and it became quite clear. Nope. This isn't going to work because I'm <laughs> always at work. And so it was 
okay, you know that little tiny room in the basement that we throw everything and we occasionally put guests in? That's now becoming Lorian's office. And so that, and it has a sign on the front that makes it clear that this is pet hub space, you know, and it's just like, um, when I walk out of there, hi, honey, I'm home. Yeah. <laughs> I am no longer at work. So it's really important keep those have some boundaries boundaries definitely awesome well thank you so much for being here today Lorraine, and for sharing your insights with us the really really wonderful and let us know where everyone can find you online you can find us at pethub p-e-t-h-u-b dot com fabulous thank you very much thank you nicole <laughs> see ya see ya bye bye I just find it so energizing to have these conversations with fellow petpreneurs. Do you get the same thing? Do you ever meet up for happy hour with people you know who go through the same kind of things that you go through and just talk about ideas and struggles and challenges? I just find that it just lights me up and makes me feel so excited about everything that's possible. And certainly it's very healthy to have a laugh about the challenges and the stuff that um, really can be quite stressful to kind of decompress a bit and take a lot of the negative energy out of it. So I really enjoyed my chat today with Lorian and I hope you did as well. I hope you got some really good insights out of it. Our chat with Pet Hub today was one of the very first interviews with uh, million dollar dog brands that uh, these interviews I created in along the process of working on my book, which is the same name, Million Dollar Dog Brand. And if you're interested in this concept and what it means, what it takes to be or become, a million dollar dog brand, then I encourage you to visit workingwithdog.com. And if you scroll down on the homepage, you can see a little blurb about the book. And you can also download a free chapter that really starts to dig into what this is that I'm talking about. The caveat, of course, is that being a million dollar dog brand is not about earning a million dollars. So I'll just throw that out there and make that clear. You could be aiming for your first five figures, you could be aiming for your fifth million or your first billion, it doesn't matter the concepts are all the same. So I encourage you to go check that out. Also, if you want to see the show notes from today's episode, this is episode four, and you can find it at workingwithdog.com slash podcast, and you'll see there episode four with Pet Hub. So my challenge for you today is to start thinking about some of the things that Lorian has said. And really, if you had to start defining brand pillars or categories or a brand statement or something that you had to live by to help you avoid that shiny object syndrome, what would it be? What would be the categories or the columns that you would be willing to and passionate about sticking to so that you know when opportunities come your way, they either are or are not for you? There are some exercises to help you with this in the show notes at workingwithdog.com slash podcast, like I said, in episode four, so you can always go there. Otherwise, we'd always love to hear from you over on Facebook, Facebook slash workingwithdog, and you know, share with us what you're coming up with, ask your questions. And as I mentioned last week, we are offering free consultations as a part of some research that we're doing. I personally am giving away um, pimp my why sessions, which can really help you dig into some of this stuff and get clarity. And it's free. So it's worth applying. And to do that, you just go to workingwithdog.com slash pimp my why. Next week, I could not, could not be more excited because we are chatting with Steph, who is one of the founders of Planet Dog. And I don't know if you are familiar with Planet Dog, but they are one of those like brand crushes that I've had 
since I got my dog Olivia like over 11 years ago, they're just an amazing, amazing business doing really interesting and innovative things in the pet space. So we're going to chat with Steph next week about how they got their start and how they have built their million dollar dog brand over at Planet Dog. So we'll see you next week and I hope you have a great day.